Hello, and welcome back to The Brag. My name is Sean Feltz, and you'll be hanging out with me today. A um, little backstory for this episode, I did a couple of quick Google searches, uh, as well as going through our email and finding some of these questions that people seem to have. Um, as far as the Google searches, it was pretty much the most common questions for the church, for, for Catholics, for Christians, all these things sort of compiled them into one thing. Um, found the most Catholic ones that I could, um, but there are a couple that are more Protestant sounding, but uh, I thought would be worth bringing into this. Um, so without further ado, let's just go ahead and get into this. Uh, some of these will be speaking kind of autobiographically and, and mostly from my own experience, but others, hopefully uh, I can help articulate some of the church's opinion on this. So let's just begin without further ado. Um, number one, why do you believe in all this? Okay, this is going to be heavily personal. Um, why do you believe in all this? I think this is something that you could take a couple different ways. So whether you want to look at like proofs for God's existence, quote unquote proofs, um, like philosophically or looking to St. Thomas Aquinas, the angelic doctor or, you know, people like that. That's totally good. Um, the way I'm actually going to take this though, uh, I, I want to tell you guys a little bit of my story. Uh, you've heard bits and pieces before, I think on our channel here. Um, but I think it's worth mentioning some of this. I'll, I'll make it brief here just, uh, out of respect for your time and mine, uh, why do I believe all this? Uh, it's worth noting the fact that I was actually an atheist for a time. Um, statistics show at this point that most people decide whether or not they're going to pursue um, religion as a part of their lives, um, the first time anyway, in middle school, so somewhere around the age of, of turning a teenager. Um, so for me, that's definitely true, and I actually chose the opposite of what you might expect. Um, and I was having a huge issue at the time with the problem of pain and suffering. Um, I had a really good young life. I have a really good family, um, awesome parents, two great siblings. Um, and by and large, I have no complaints about my, my early life and childhood. Um, but by the time I got to middle school, things started to get really rough for me. I was um, facing a lot of bullying at school. Um, my grandmother, who I loved very much, uh, had just come down with dementia. We'd just been diagnosed with dementia. Um, and I was watching her suffer, and I was watching our family suffer um, watching her in pain, um, and, you know, all sorts of other things just kept adding up, um, and I was just like, you know what, it's okay, like, at one point I learned that Santa wasn't real, at one point I learned that the Easter Bunny wasn't real, it's okay if God's just another one of those people, right, um, and so I sort of, like, took a step back, and I was like, you know, it's fine, like, very clearly there is no God, there cannot be a God if all these bad things are happening, because they keep telling me that this, this, bearded man in the sky, as I saw him, uh, loves me. And yet I'm watching everybody I know and love hurt, it seems like, um, including myself. So clearly there is no God. Um, and it took actually a, a very personal encounter on a retreat uh, that I was forced on um, by some very good friends um, that, yeah, it's well known in St. Louis as a Luke 18 retreat. It's a confirmation retreat um, that most eighth graders go on, sometimes seventh graders, um, in preparation for the reception of the sacrament of confirmation. Uh, and so while I was there, I, I pretty much didn't pay that much attention until we got to, uh, Saturday night. Um, and I didn't even listen to the talks then. It's not like that's what happened. Um, but the youth minister at the time, his name was Rob. He stood up there and he told us that we were about to go into a time of adoration and uh, was just sort of giving us some basic pointers on how to enter into that time. Um, and he told us that uh, the same Jesus, the same Eucharist, 
that we received in the mass was going to be contained in a, in a golden container called a monstrance. Um, and he was a Latin teacher. My Latin's not so great, so bear with me here. But uh, I do remember this one. It's, uh, he said, monstrance comes from the Latin word monstrare, which means to show. And the easy understanding with that um, is that Jesus is on show for us as we pray in front of him. But the deeper understanding, maybe even the better understanding right now, is that your hearts are on show before him. And perhaps our own seeing him is, is just a reflection of that and a reminder of that. And so as I thought about that, um, it, it stuck with me. It's still even burned into my mind to this day. Um, and that was a time in my life where I really didn't feel seen. I really didn't feel known. And I really didn't feel that loved, um, even though I was. And so I gave him the opportunity. I said, like, okay, God, if that's really you, then you got to show me something. Convince me that that's you. If, if that's really you, you can take my life. You can change it forever. Just make sure that I always know that that's really you. Um, and that was my initial moment of encounter with him because he did let me know. He did show me in ways small and large during that time. Um, and then since then, it's been a series of smaller um, conversions, little turnings of my heart towards his. Um, but directly following that, I was like, wow, there's so much ri richness to the faith. There's so much richness that I haven't explored, and I'm so curious. And um, this was right around the time where it was becoming very popular for people at my age, uh, like 12, 13, 14, I was 14 at the time, um, to do a lot of like YouTube watching, a lot of Google searching, things like that. Um, on like an iPod touch. <laughs> and so I did, and I started reading things out of the catechism online. I started watching um, videos for things like Steubenville conferences or uh, talks by Father Mike Schmitz on Ascension Presents and people like that, um, just learning as much as I could about the faith as quickly as I could. I just couldn't get enough. Um, and so I guess to answer the question, why do I believe in all this? Not just why does any Catholic believe in all this, because we all have a different story. Um, and I think you would get a ton of different answers if you asked a ton of different Catholics. Um, yeah, I, I guess for me, why I believe in all this is because um, I take him at his word. I take him at his word, and I, I feel like I know him, and I've come to know him, not just as somebody um, totally external to me, but as somebody who wants to be intimate with me and somebody who loves me and somebody um, whose being is, is essential for my own, um, who I totally depend on and whose grace uh, brings me to and from each day. So I guess why do I believe in all this is because I, I know the guy who says it and I take him at his word. Um, okay, second question. Why do you pray to the saints? Uh, this is a really, really good question. Um, and I want to point us to three sort of types of honor that we can pay. Um, these are, again, um, <laughs> these are rooted in, in Latin and Greek. Um, and I think they've come from St. Augustine, if you want to fact check me on any of this. Um, but so the words are um, dulia, latria, and then hyperdulia. So uh, dulia is a term that we use pretty much only in theology, I believe, um, as an honor paid to the saints um, versus latria, which is worship given only to God. It's something that belongs only to him. So it would be totally improper if we gave our latria, our, our worship, um, to the saints just like it really wouldn't be enough if we gave our dulia to God. It's good to honor God, but it's it's not quite a full understanding of what we owe him, what he what he desires from us. 
Um, and so Latria is what is owed to God. It's that worship, while Dulia is an honor for the saints. Hyperdulia, hyper meaning big, right? Like a lot, um, is something that we give only to the Blessed Virgin Mary um, because she is as, as queen of heaven and earth, as uh, the mother of the person of Jesus Christ, uh, the incarnate son of God. There is a special place for her uh, in our prayer, in our honor uh, that we can pay to the saints. So we give her hyperdulia, we give the saints dulia, and we give to God alone latria. Um, I really liked the wording of this next question, so I hope nobody thinks it's uh, maybe indelicate or irreverent, but the question was, why do you worship the wafer? Why do you worship the wafer? Um, this is a great question, and this is actually a super uh, common misunderstanding for Catholics, too. So if you're listening to this, it's, this could be something to take um, yeah, from this as well. Um, the wafer, right, referring to communion. Um, well, why do we worship communion? Why do we worship that piece of bread? Um, well, simply put, because it is not just bread, um, because there's actually a change that it undergoes in the sacrifice of the mass, uh, that what, what was once bread and wine and water um, becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And we do truly believe that it becomes that. Um, it maintains, th- these are philosophical terms, it maintains its accidents uh, while changing in substance. That's why we say transubstantiation, the change in substance, trans, change, substantiation, uh, substantia, substance, um, versus um, versus thinking that it's just bread and wine that we receive symbolically uh, or as just sort of, um, I don't know, a good tradition. It's it's not quite that. Um, it's, it's much more, actually. So what we're worshiping is not bread. Um, if we were worshiping bread, something would be very wrong, um, but we are actually worshiping the person of Jesus Christ because that is who we receive. Um, we see what we are and we become what we eat. Um, actually, one of the earlier um, attacks against the church, one of the earlier misunderstandings about the Eucharist was not that it was not Jesus. It wasn't that it was just bread and, and wine, um, but rather that Christians uh, were cannibals that they were, they were consuming flesh, uh, which we are, in a sense. Um, we are, we're not just like some cannibal, but we are consuming the flesh of Jesus Christ. We truly do believe that in substance. The accidents appear the exact same way. So, um, you know, if we, were, if we were to behold the total glory of God right here, right now, we're just not ready for that, and it would be far more painful for us. Um, and so he comes under this veil, he comes um, hidden, in a sense, in uh, bread and wine and water, things that are very simple, that are everyday, that are ordinary, and he sanctifies them. He becomes, uh, they, they become him by the words of institution that the priest says. That's, that's what we believe. So we're not just worshiping some random wafer. We are worshiping the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Um, fourth, Fourth question, uh, what is reconciliation and why do you confess your sins to a priest? So the second part actually really points to the first part. That was something I noticed in this question, but we don't need to poke holes today. Um, So reconciliation is one of the seven sacraments recognized by the church. Um, Seven sacraments, including uh, the Holy Eucharist, as mentioned before, um, are basically the seven ways that are just like guaranteed uh, receptions of grace, right? Guaranteed every single time 
God gives grace through these seven because they're ways that he instituted. Um, and so reconciliation has its roots in uh, the power of the keys where Jesus says, uh, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Um, and essentially what it is, um, is a bringing ourselves to our knees in humility, saying what we have done wrong, how we have offended God and our neighbor, um, and offering that to him and begging for mercy, uh, which he gives very freely to anybody who's truly penitential. Um, and so reconciliation, that word uh, reconciliation is worth looking at uh, the roots, I think. So the um, Latin root, I believe, is conciliare. I know I just said I'm bad at Latin and I'm like showing off. I'm not trying to. It's just there's some really cool etymology in the church. Um, it's very rich, like I said. Um, so, yeah, this reconciliare. Um, the re means like again or, or bringing back into, right? Back is probably a good literal translation. And then con, we understand very well as with. Um, ciliare, cilia or cilium, um, that's like tiny hair follicles. It refers to essentially your eyelashes. Um, so if you look at it that way, like reconciliation then means to be brought eyelash to eyelash again, um, like the prodigal son with the father to be brought eyelash to eyelash, to be drawn in so close. I don't know if you've ever been that close with anybody, maybe just your, uh, maybe like your mom when you're a baby, um, but to be brought in that close. Um, because what is sin? Sin is something that separates us from God, right? That creates a division, that there is a, a chasm within us that needs to be repaired um, and a chasm between us and God. Um, and so in reconciliation, the, the chasm is mended and, and God draws near to us like he always does and we respond to it um, and in in that process he provides so much grace uh, that we are drawn back into his to his fold to his family um, and why do we confess our sins to a priest I, I already said that root from the from the scriptures um, whatever you bound on earth shall be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven um, that's a power that Jesus has given to the priest through the apostles and through apostolic succession um, so we confess our sins to a priest because he acts in the person of Christ, in persona Christi. Um, and we, yeah, we take those words of absolution as they are. Um, yeah, that I absolve you. That I don't, but a priest can say, I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, I love that part right before. He says, uh, through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace. Uh, pardon and peace the things that, that reconciliation offers to us, pardon and peace from the infinite mercy of God. Um, I really love, one of the Jesuits here taught me this really awesome, uh, different Latin phrase. This is this is great. This is like all of the Latin I know in one episode. Um, <laughs> but that word is misericordiae, misericordia. It's where the word mercy comes from. But if we split it up, that first part is misery, which is where we get misery, and then cor, which is heart, and dare, which is like to give. Um, so essentially like the, the heart, the heart of God goes out to the miserable. Um, the heart is given to the miserable. And so when we, when we lower ourselves, when we humble ourselves, when we, um, submit ourselves, um, to the authority of the church, to the authority of the priest acting in persona Christi, um, and beg forgiveness, beg for mercy, uh, that is what we receive. We receive, um, the victory, the love, uh, and ultimately the heart of Christ, uh, which is really beautiful. Uh, fifth one, this is going to be our last question for today. 
but I really enjoyed this that this was on a this was on a Catholic uh, question site and said, "Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior?" Which, if you're not familiar, is like a super uh, Protestantized question. Um, I don't think it's wrong to necessarily answer though. So I would say yes, uh, I I have accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior in the sense that I recognize. Um, that my own sins are the ones that he died for, as well as the sins of everybody else. We don't want to hedge too far on this side of individualism and say, like, he is only mine and mine alone. I know him. Nobody else does. Um, that's, that's prideful. That's wrong. It's, it's just not a good interpretation of who Jesus is. Um, but uh, I think I can say that I have accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior because in, in maybe the most charitable understanding of this question, um, that I can think of anyway. Um, the question is, have you allowed him to to save you? Have you allowed him to be your your Lord, your commander, your friend, uh, your savior? And I would say yes and no. I think maybe that's more of a process than we've uh, allowed it to sound like or than, than that common um, sort of colloquial phrasing has allowed it to sound. But I think there is an important process within the soul that, uh, that moves from abstract, like, yeah, there's some God somewhere, to Jesus Christ died for my sins. Um, you know, that my sins are the ones that, in a sense, nailed him to that cross. Um, and so, yeah, I think part of being a Christian is having to accept that. But we can't say that, like, um, the way that this is normally taken is, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Because that is how you are saved. And that is not true. Um, that's not true at all, actually. Um, in, I believe it's John chapter 3, verse 5. Um, you can fact check me on that as well, but I think it's John 3, 5. Jesus answered, um, was it, I, Amen, amen, I say to you, uh, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven kingdom of heaven without being born of water and spirit. Water and spirit. That's what baptism offers. Water and spirit. That same promise. Um, to be baptized. Because that's what that's what Jesus wanted for us was to be baptized that for the forgiveness of sins, uh, for the for the uh, um, renunciation of sin and Satan, um, and that's essentially all the other sacraments like hinge on that one. That is so pivotal to who we are as Christians. So to say that um, you can be saved apart from baptism, I'm, I'm not going to make a definitive claim on that, but but Jesus kind of does. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Um, so. That's not to say that there is no hope, um, but also it's pretty definitive, water and spirit. So um, if you're ever asked that question, I take it however you will. But when in terms of salvation, we're asked, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Um, you know, if the answer is yes, great. Um, but then there has to be something more. There has to be uh, being born again of water and spirit. There has to be this this devotion to him um, and to what he says and taking him at his word, kind of like I've said throughout this, taking him at his word. Um, so, yeah, these have just been some of the most popular questions I could find online that people had for Catholics or that even Catholics had for Catholics. Um, so I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have more questions, feel free to submit them to thebrag.slu at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Slu Catholic Studies, and we will see you next time. Peace. <laughs>